0: Randy Barkley is a California life insurance agent. California license number 0518567. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated. Tricord Advisors, Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Now, here's Randy Barkley.
1: Welcome to Retirement Unlimited. This is the radio program that is dedicated to helping you make smart decisions about your money. I'm your host, Randy Barkley, and I'm here with Jeremiah Lee. We are with Tricord Advisors. Tricord is a registered investment advisory firm. Jeremiah and I are certified financial planners, as well as we have two other individuals in our office that are as well certified. Uh, Jeremiah has the distinct uh, designation of being an attorney, and he helps our clients with uh, legal matters like estate planning and other uh, contractual things that require his specialized knowledge. If you'd like to know more about us and what we do as a firm, I really strongly suggest that you go to our website, which is WwwRetirement unlimited.com or just simply call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Now, every week, what we do is we divide our program into three parts. The first part is what we refer to as retirement update. The second one is tactical asset management. And the third one is news you can use. Now, in the first part of the program today, we're going to talk about something. We've talked about this in the past, Jeremiah, but it's it's the donor-advised funds, and we're helping a lot of clients to set these up and utilize them, and they're so much more flexible than uh, giving, like what we've seen in the past, like with foundations and things like that, aren't they?
2: Yeah, these donor-advised funds are great. Um, when I was back practicing only at the law firm, we set, set up a number of foundations for folks, and foundations right. um, are, I guess I'd say, kind of the, the least favored by the IRS, what was called you know, private foundations, a wealthy family or wealthy group puts together this foundation and they want it to exist forever and they want to give um, donations through that. Just the way the rules are written, there, there's scrutiny on those. There's IRS scrutiny. You have to give out 5% of the balance every year. There's all sorts of reports. I mean,
1: the biggest, the biggest thing is the cost too. I mean, you got, yeah. it's you got expensive an to set them up.
2: Get them set up. That's right. And the donor advised funds kind of from the, from the individual's perspective fills that same need, but without all the, the, the need to set up, take those actions. So a lot of it, they run through a bank. And basically, you make the donation, and you give the funds to the bank in this donor-advised fund, and the the bank now has control of them, but you are the advisor. You're the advisor of where you'd like that to go. And the benefits, which a lot of people probably know, is that the moment you give the money, you get the tax write-off. You you get the benefit of that. However, you don't have to give the actual money to the charities for a number of years. You have some time to kind of figure out who you want to give it to and when.
1: So again, one of the primary advantages of a a donor advised fund is, remember, the taxes now are changed. You don't get as much um, upfront deduction because of the standard exemptions, and it's difficult to get all the deductions. And this really affects your Medicare premiums more importantly than anything else. But with a donor advised fund, you can advance your donations. You can give appreciated assets like stocks and real estate, put that into the donor advised fund. But then you get all the deduction in that year, and it helps reduce your taxable income. It really is a benefit dur- during that period of time. It is, for yeah, that.
2: especially with people who are having a, a unique year. Right. You know, if, if they have a lot of capital gains, or they sold a business, or anything where their, their income is you know, significantly higher than it would have been, we, we've encouraged a few folks, and people taking this, that they'll, they'll look at you know, the next 10 years of giving they plan to do anyway. Yeah. So they're they're charitably minded. They'll take 10 years of giving and it kind of advanced it all into that one year and give a large amount to, to really bring down their taxes in that one year. Um, and of course, if they, you know, I will say too much, but if you put too much in, in the first year you know, amount that you can't fully deduct right. as your income, you can carry that forward for five years.
1: And that's, I mean, that's really good. So, I mean, if you have a business that you're selling, but a lot of times, most time, most of the time that people use this, they put in appreciated assets. And most commonly it's stock
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it helps to, if you have an asset that you bought $50, it's now worth a hundred and if you sell it, what you do is you literally get the deduction for the $100 per share value when you put it into the donor advised fund. If you exceed, going back to what Jeremiah's comments are, if you exceed what you're able to deduct, then you carry it forward. You can carry forward that excess deduction into the into the next five years, or I guess you can carry it forward for five years.
2: Yeah. And the re- reason a lot of people think to do this rather than just give it all, because the are option options, just give it all right then. And there's a number of organizations that if you're giving a large gift, it, it One, it may not be the way you want to structure it. Right. But two, they they may not be able to take on such a large gift and use it efficiently. It might be more more, uh, appropriate to give them say, maybe $10,000 a year. That's a great gift. It's for a lot of organizations would be really fantastic. But if you gave them a a much larger amount, maybe they don't spend it as efficiently. Maybe you want to spread it around, you know, through different uh, organizations.
1: Yeah, and I think the the biggest, uh, we've had several years where you come to the end of the year and you're thinking, okay, I've got to do some tax planning. And for those clients, we're a foundation. Uh, they qualify for that. Then all of a sudden, you got to bring in an attorney. They've got to file a basically a report with the IRS. They have to get permission to, so to speak. So there's always that suspense whether or not it's going to be approved by the IRS and you're going to get the deductions. And like most people, they procrastinate and they wait to the last minute. So you have this rush to get all this information in before the end of the year. With a donor advice fund, we really don't have those issues, do
2: yeah. we? Yeah, we don't. And there's two items I think are really great about these. So one, one is that when you put the money in, if you put say stock in, that stock can continue to be invested. You know, that, that donor advised fund, even after you've given the gift can continue to grow. And mm-hmm. so as the individual is directing the gifts into the future, that, that pool of money that you're gifting from can actually grow and stay invested and get larger. Whereas when you give it directly to a charity that day you give it, it's, it's just gone.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that if all of a sudden you pick a charity, because you're setting up, you're you're forming a relationship with some with an entity that is qualified to recognize what a charitable gift is. So all of a sudden you say I want to give to XYZ company and they say no you can't do that because it's not a a 5013c it's not a qualified charity so they protect you. Yeah. But you can be very selective. You don't have to say, I want to give everything to one organization. Let's say like the Salvation Army. I'd like to give some to Salvation Army this year, but I'd like to give some to Goodwill or I'd like to give some to this church or this school. And as long, and what they do is they make sure that what you're giving to is, in fact, a qualified charity.
2: Yeah, And they take care of the paperwork. You don't they have do. to get receipts. You don't have to get those. That and the other aspect of that is also you can do it more. It's easier to be anonymous when you're giving, say, a check to a school. Right. You got to put your name on it and send it to them. Um, when you can do it through a donor-advised fund, you can have the donor-advised fund come through as simply a donation, in essence, the, the bank's name, the, the right. donor-advised fund name is on it. And you can remain anonymous. And there have a number of folks who desire that. You know, They want the tax deduction. They want to be involved in their community. They want to be helping but they don't necessarily want to be broadcasting that they're giving these amounts of money. So a donor advised fund has, has made a lot of sense for a lot of our clients. Right. And I, and I think it continues to make sense. There's some talk that they'll change rules on that. You know, and I think
1: the distribution rules will probably come under scrutiny because yep. right
2: now you're not required to distribute
1: anything. So you could accumulate this massive amount of money sitting in a separate fund and not distribute it.
2: Yep. And, and have it it's earmarked. It's, it's irrevocably committed to charitable purposes, right. but you know, you can hold it and have it grow. So there's a lot of benefit to them. We'll keep an eye on the laws, but for now, that's a great resource for a lot of our Yeah, there's, just,
1: there's so many advantages here, and it's just easy. And for those of you that are wanting to figure out how do I reduce my taxes, tax planning is one of the things that we do as a wealth management firm, but we have to be proactive. You can't wait until December 31st and all of a sudden you say, okay, I can do this. This has to be done well in advance in planning. So this is one of the reasons why we say, let's build a plan together. Uh, give me a call give jeremiah a call phone number is 951-684-7011 let's set up an initial interview doesn't cost you anything find out what your needs are and to see whether or not we can help you reduce your taxes and enhance your overall growth experience stay tuned for our next section we're going to talk about tactical asset management Again, we're coming back to this same subject matter and we're having a lot of conversation. And of course, we're seeing a lot of things on the news about inflation and inflation. Every time you turn around, you see this indicator of personal consumption or consumer price index. And, it, and for most people, it's scary. It's, I mean, yeah. again, I, we want to be really careful. What Jeremiah and I want to talk about is how inflation is calculated. And more importantly, how it's the true inflation is different than what the headlines are telling us. That's right.
2: And it's, it's calculated a number of ways. We're not right. going to get through all of them today. You know? right. We're not going to make, make this a math class, but there's one that we really wanted to talk about um, because it's different than the headlines. I mean, the headlines right. are there to, to sell clicks or sell newspapers. You know, they are trying to have the biggest, scariest number. But what we're trying to look at is the most, I guess, accurate number. Um, you know, one that really reflects what's going on in the economy. Right. And the one we're looking at today is basically called the trimmed mean inflation. And
1: now for most of you, you haven't heard this. This is not something that's broadcast. I, I've never heard it. And frankly, I've never even read it in the general
2: publications that I read on a continual basis. Yeah, people are talking about it now just because it's, it's, it's different. Usually a lot of these different measures of inflation are real similar to each other. You know, one's right. a few points higher, one's lower, but they move together. In this moment, the, the trimmed mean is moving a little different than the headline number. Right. And the reason is you think of the inflation going up and down um, you know, year over year. And what they've done is they've taken out the, the basket of things that make up inflation and they've cut out the ones that are the highest and cut out the ones that are the lowest. Basically trying to get to that, I guess you call it base inflation. right? So the they're, not,
1: they're not using just the headline consumer price index, because that's the one that captures all the headlines. That's yeah. the one that everybody gets stuck in their head. And they're saying, oh, our inflation is like 5% yeah. or 6%. And, and that
2: basket, that's got cars in it and food and right. you know, everything is in there. And they're measuring how much it costs last year compared to how much it costs this year. That's the main bucket.
1: Right. So you have, I mean, again, the conversation is, is this inflation transitory? In other words, will it go away? In other words, the, the higher pricing that we're seeing in particular, you know, those, those particular prices uh, that have jumped up because they came from such a low part during the pandemic, you know, like, let's say like airline tickets, they dropped down to virtually zero. Oil prices dropped down to virtually zero. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming back and depending upon what the use is, they look at that and say, well, it's a lot higher than what it was a year ago. But over the course of time, is it a lot higher?
2: Yep. And are those individual industries um, causing more problem than they should? Right. So everyone talks about, you know, there's been supply chain issues and there absolutely have been throughout. And, you know, the price of lumber went way up when it came right. back down. Um, groceries, you know, there's things that are still going up. There's things that have already come down. Things will probably go up again.
1: Yeah, it's the toilet paper syndrome is what I yeah. call it. You know, people th- hear all of a sudden that we're going to be running out of, out of toilet paper and they run to every outlet, every store. And you see, you see, all of a sudden there's you walk by and say, okay, well, did I miss something? The toilet paper's all gone on this mm-hmm. aisle. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, is there a panic? Right, the water aisle's empty. The <laughs> exactly. Empty. We missed the apocalypse. Apparently. There you go. But but what this this trimmed inflation is trying to do is take out those outliers. You know, because oil went way down and came way up, they want to exclude that one and just say, okay, the the basic stuff like with the core of items, what are they doing? Are we seeing everything move up together? You know, one or two points? Are we only seeing these odd? And so the reason this has come out as the interesting one is the the inflation headline that we're seeing right now is 5.3, right? You know, that, that's what we're seeing is inflation across the board. That's what everyone's concerned about. But the, the trimmed inflation, when they cut out you know, the, the individual industries that have gone really high or really low, it's actually 2%.
1: And folks, they're taking almost 80,000 consumer goods, you know, from the durable goods, like a, like a wash machine, all the way down to like the groceries on, you know, the fruit, the vegetables, things like that, that you get. Um, you know, and they're taking all of that. And then the Federal Reserve then cuts, they kind of take a cut off the top and a cut off the bottom to get. Right. So it includes housing, which I think is really an important in transportation, which is really important. A lot of these other indicators don't have it. They yeah. exit those out. But this one here actually includes it. And then, and then they kind of trim it. So that's why they call it trim mm-hmm. and try to get the core inflation. Yep. And, and it's, it's a lot closer to 2%, not 5.3%. Yeah.
2: The interesting thing, there's, there's other measures of inflation that, that have specific industries they cut out. Like you said, some cut out um, housing, some cut out transportation. Right. This one, the, the, the trimmed mean, it doesn't care what the industry is. It just takes whatever's been extremely high or extremely low, and it removes those. And if, if everything's been extremely high then the trimmed and the regular inflation will be the same number.
1: Right, they would, they would come up in, in tandem. They yeah, would come they up together.
2: all be the same. But if there's specific industries that are really driving this, these higher inflation numbers, but the core of everything is staying low, we we see something like what we're seeing right now is that the, the main number of inflation is 5.3, but the, the trimmed number, when they're taking out these extreme cases, it's back down to 2%. So, yeah.
1: yeah, and I think, I think the criticism that most people say, well, they're just cherry picking. They're just picking the, what they think so that they can come up with a number that fits their analysis or what their outcome, what they're trying to achieve. But in, in in actuality, what the federal reserve does is they have literally 10,000 people that go out and shop and provide information back to them every single quarter. Mm-hmm. So they get an idea of what the overall cost of goods and services, not just in selected few items, but on a wide variety. And we're talking, we're talking thousands of items And that information is is fed back and they do that analysis to come up with this trend. So therefore, inflation, that's why we've made comments in our radio program. We've talked to clients about inflation is not as um, it's not as it's not as worrisome, I guess, maybe the best way to say that. And I grew up during the late 70s and early 80s when inflation was rampant and we saw inflation just get completely out of control. We don't, we just don't see it here yeah. and it's not embedded as like we've seen it in the past.
2: Yeah. And we're not looking to hang our hat on any specific measure. We're trying to look at all of them. You know, right. I think this is bringing this up today. I was just going to share, you know, one more data point for folks, right. um, you know, versus what you see on the headlines. But to look at, you know, this is kind of a broad base view of goods and services across, across the economy of, of how much are things inflating and 2% is the target. You know, that That's the ideal in essence. They don't
1: that, that's it. what the federal reserve was trying to achieve.
2: Right. They don't want it below that. You know, there's other issues as we have that. But two percent is what they're looking for. So I think we are feeling, um, you know, kind of the the as you're buying things, you feel inflation. You right. see inflation; it's existing, and you're you're hearing about it in certain industries. But what I think is 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 not quite the full picture. Is when you see the headlines that mm-hmm. we're having, you know, five percent inflation all across the board, the sky is falling. Right. We are having inflation, but from what we're reading, the the core of it, the bulk of all the goods are not going as high as everything else. We'll keep watching it. We don't know where this will go in right. the coming weeks, but this is where we're at at the moment. And again,
1: what they're looking at is that this will filter down into the trimmed inflation, uh, maybe like two and a half percent by next year, which is a slightly higher, which would be something that would cause the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Mortgage rates are just starting to rise just naturally because the demand is is such that right now they can they can do that. And that's gonna have a natural impact, but those are market conditions. Those are not controlled by the Fed, so to speak.
2: Yeah, and we'll see where they go. I mean, we we don't wanna make predictions, but we want to look at what's really happening and follow kind of the data, follow what's happening make sure our clients are in the best positions uh, to be protected as well as to to grow.
1: So bottom line is that we believe that inflation is not as bad as the headlines suggest, but price pressures are steadily spreading across all those 10,000 items. And how that affects you individually is going to be really based upon how you spend your money, based upon the overall items that you're selecting. If you'd like to know more information and how we look at this in order to make choices for our clients to help them make smart decisions about their money, give us a call. Our phone number is 951-684-7011. Stay tuned for our next section. We're going to talk about news you can use.
0: It's 888-627-8371, retirementunlimited.org. Advisory services offered through Tricord Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor clearing through TD Ameritrade, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB. AM 590, the answer. Welcome
1: back. This is the section of the program that we refer to as news you can use. We have a lot, we have a lot of clients that are in retirement and it's interesting, they have owned their home for 20, 30, even longer, 40 years. And they want to stay there. They have made the decision to age in place, so to speak. But they want to make improvements. You know, they want to replace the roof. They want to replace the windows. And so the common question is, how do I, how do, I do that? Uh, do I take money out of my retirement account? Do I take money out of cash? Do I refinance? And really, the answer is,
2: it kind of depends, doesn't it? Yeah, it depends on a number of things. I mean, often taking money out of retirement that, that now has to be taxed right. and using it, it's usually, it's usually not the right choice. It's usually a poor choice. But above the choices, whether or not you use available cash or you save that, you know, we have to kind of do a case-by-case basis looking right. at what other needs does that household have that's coming up? You know?
1: For example, somebody who is, who's got a great pension, maybe they've retired from a public service and they've got a great pension that's going to be uh, certain for them for the rest of their life, borrowing some money against their house and doing those improvements is not a big deal, particularly with interest rates where they're at. You get a locked in rate and that's different than somebody that is who's who doesn't have that pension Who's depending upon their investment accounts Mm -hmm. and what they've set aside in their 401ks and their IRAs over the years. So every household is slightly different. So there's an article and for news you can use what I did is I clipped this out because it's the article says. Paying for the new roof over your head. And it talks about all these different strategies that we're kind of discussing here in this segment right here. And if you'd like to have a free reprint of it, we'd be more than happy to send it out to you. Just give us a call at our office. But but basically what, what they're talking about is that you want to have all the things available to you. All the things that would be out there. Of course, you can do a refinance and cash out, but there's other options too, isn't there?
2: Yeah. And, and they're changing. So, one right. that's common is, is a HELOC, right. a home equity line of credit. Um, a, a lot of folks, when you refinance it, you have to take out all the money now and you have to start making payments on it. So at times, we'll have clients who will say, Well, I, want it, I know I want to do the kitchen, but I think I also want to do a bathroom. I'm not right. sure. Something like a home equity line of credit allows them to have access to this larger amount of money, but they only have to pay back you know, the amount that they take out, but but that's changing. So uh, Wells Fargo specifically, they stopped in April of 2020. They stopped yeah, doing any new HELOCs.
1: And I did a referral to a Bank of America for a client um, and they basically Bank of America followed suit and recently they said, no, we're not doing it. Yeah. So you have to be really careful about your institutions and where they get it. It used to be very common, very low cost, virtually zero expense to get them set up. And then you have the availability. They're not that readily available anymore.
2: I think it's because banks are concerned with equity. You know, they look at a house and based on today's numbers, there's massive equity in it but that equity may have been created only in the last six months. Right. And they're concerned, you know, whether it will stay or not. So I mean, I get it from their perspective that they're, they're limiting how many of those they issue. The
1: other, the other aspect too, I always encourage clients, the reason to working longer, uh, depending on their circumstances, if they've got the, let's say I want to retire at 65, it says, well, if you want to make all these major improvements, I always like to have the major improvements done before they retire. So that would be one of the reasons why you'd work maybe an extra year or two, because you have that capital coming in and you can replace the roof. You can redo the kitchen and the bathroom. These are these are major expenses for most people. Yeah.
2: So we talked about using cash, getting a, a HELOC investment, doing a refinance. You know, all kind of the normal ones. There's two more that, that I think are relevant. You know, the first is being an unsecured line. Banks at times will just let you take a loan. You don't know, right. have to tie it to anything. It just depends on your income. Um, usually there's limits to how much they can get right. with those, but but often they could be enough for a remodel. Or yeah, and if your credit
1: country. score is adequate, in other words, yeah. if you're in the 700s or above, yeah. and uh, most of our clients, because they're retired, they have very little credit. They pay their bills very timely, mm-hmm. so we don't really worry about them that much, but it's always good to run a credit score to see what mm-hmm. your credit um, what your credit score is, your FICO score. So you, you're not walking into something where you're going to be surprised later on.
2: Yeah. And the last one I think is really good. And we, we'll talk one of this with our clients, but investment credit lines. If right. you have a, a large account that's invested with a bank, often they'll give you a line of credit on that. You don't right. have to sell your investments. You don't have to liquidate it. You just have access to more capital to do things based on that account. It's a great benefit for folks that have larger investment accounts.
1: So bottom line is not everybody is going to use the same resource or the same kind of borrowing in order to accomplish their goals. That's why we want to sit down with you and help you manage yourself, your equities and your cash flows and everything else through this whole process. If you'd like to know more information about what we've talked about, not only in this segment, but also in any other part of the radio program, just give us a call at 951. 684 or just simply go to our website, which is www.retirementunlimited.com. Until next week, folks, may you grow in wisdom and knowledge.
0: Thank you for listening.